Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. The job that I held and loved and always wanted, that's gone. It's gone. Barry, you're one of the last guys hanging on because it's, as you know, once they deny you that access, everybody's in the same bathtub. I mean, really? I think I'm pretty sure well, I'm right about this. Yeah, you're not. I mean, I think that's the doom and gloom version. And, the, and believe you me, know, that's Tony, what I, I think about it. Well, right, for sure. And I, yeah. I join you in that club. We'll meet on every other Sunday. But um, yeah. I. <laughs> The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. So I'm going to read a couple of uh, emails down the line that um, have the hometown people. But we're going to end this now. So, what, what we have, we have. But we're going to we need a new game. Okay. We need a new game. As much as I loved it, you know, we need a new game. A couple of things to talk about. So I got this letter here from a guy who said, I do not expect nor particularly want this letter to be read on air. So what I'm going to do is... That was your first mistake. (laughs) I'm going to read the letter. I'm just not going to give his name. Oh, sure. No, so he'll know. Right. But, you know. But I did want to let you know that I had the pleasure last evening of meeting and dining with a truly funny man, Peter Melman, which we know. At one point in the conversation, I used the quote to answer, the answer to all your questions is money, and he remarked that it was one of your favorite lines. Knowing that Peter had worked at the Post, I asked if he knew you, and his eyes lit up as he referred to you as his rabbi. So egged on by a friend at a dinner, I proceeded to tell him about the letter I had written. 34 kitchen outlets, you know, outlet strips, baby, that you read on the podcast several weeks ago. He seemed quite bemused. I think mostly at how happy I was to have had my letter read and how my happiness made him happy. It was such a nice moment and yet another element in the connective tissue of your show. And I thought you'd like to hear, though I imagine you already know the high regard in which he holds you. I hold him in the same high regard. So I won't mention the name here because that enables us to read it. And then he can't get mad. And then I assume he'll write a letter saying, well, if you went that far, why didn't you mention my name? But I just, I don't want to do that. I want to honor his wishes. Yes. Eric Nadell or Eric Nadel. I assume it's Eric Nadell. Do you remember him? He's the guy from the Texas Uh, Rangers. Yeah, Rangers. Right. And he's also involved in music. He's written. Yeah, Dave Sims and Charlie Steiner are two of my best friends in the business. We're all one. I loved hearing Barry and you talk about the current lack of media access. This has been a huge problem for me and other baseball announcers the last two seasons. The only interesting stuff we can get that a fan cannot get on the internet is the stuff we get directly from one-on-one conversations with players, coaches, and umpires. And we have so much more time to fill than ever before because of the extra time pitchers are taking between pitches and all the extra pitching changes. When I started broadcasting for the Rangers in 1979, the average game lasted under two hours and 40 minutes. Now the average game time is over 310. That's an addition. 30 minutes for us to fill when nothing is happening. Yeah, about 10 minutes of that is additional commercials, but the rest is my partner and I filling up dead space. And keep in mind, the ball is in play less than ever before because all of the strikeouts, walks, home runs, and deep counts. So the need for more fascinating nuggets to pass on to the fans is even greater than it's ever been. Being able to wander around the clubhouse prior to batting practice is one of the best privileges of this job, and I fear that access may never return. Watch a game from the 50s and 60s, and you immediately notice how quickly it moves with little time between pitches. The announcers didn't need a whole lot of film material. There was no time to use it anyway. Let's get back to that. Put in the pitch clock and make the batter stay in the box. They're doing it in most of the minor leagues, and it really works. The whole rhythm of the game has come back. Thanks again for the mention and for championing Leslie Mendelson. We don't play the Nats this year, but we'll be in Baltimore July 4th through 6th. Come on out and hang out with us in the booth. That's a keeper. And let me just say one other thing about this. This surprises me in this regard. The announcers are paid by the team. They are more or less team employees. I'm stunned 
that they are under the same hardship, that they are under the same push away as baseball writers. Are you not stunned by it? This is how I, I grew up in this business. I had great access, but I always assumed that the announcers had better access than I did. I yeah. think once you just start closing doors, it's so easy to keep them close to everyone, even if they're only three levels up. But there's only there's only so much footage of nacho helmets that you can see in a three and a half hour nine inning game. So right. yes, those the, the the best part of those like midsummer games is the stories that they're telling. Yes, these guys know them well. I'm that's a terrible development. It is because they are there to communicate to you. The nuance of the team. That's terrible development. From Stan Longhoffer. Listening to the mailbag on today's podcast, I noticed the background music was T for two. And I couldn't help picturing you and Nigel doing a soft shoot of the music. <laughs> Perhaps you could have Michael take a video and post it on TikTok. Thanks. I'll hang up and watch. No, we don't do TikTok. No. But if you didn't know, if anybody doesn't know who's playing T for two, the T for two cha-cha, it's Roy Battelle and the Altones. Leroy Battle Jr., a member of the Tuskegee Airmen, a hero. Not yeah. with us anymore, but is always the official music of this show. Always. When, when I pass the show on or when I pass on, I hope it's still the official music of this show. That's where the T for Two Cha-Cha comes from. Roy Battelle and the Altones and wasn't played it, at my daughter's bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah. <laughs> they were the band. That's right. They the were house the band. band. Wasn't, it, the uh, band. wasn't it Garcia that gave him the name Battelle? Battelle. Yeah. Yes. It's Leroy Battle. <laughs> Leroy G. Battle. But a, a real American hero. Yes. From Brandon Costello, Dr. Tony, Brett Michaels' dad sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, he was the guy selling <laughs> knives to the kids. <laughs> Don't kill anyone with this. Selling knives to the kids. <laughs> David Johnson, Saratoga Springs. I got a problem with Michael. Oh, who great. made an offhand remark about a fantasy book trilogy called The King Killer Chronicle last yeah, keep year. keep waiting for book three. I decided to give it a try and was quickly hooked by the first book in the series. Book two, to my delight, was even better. However, and here's Michael's crime. I ran into trouble searching for the third book that would wrap up this well-crafted trilogy. I was confused that it was not yet available in the Saratoga Springs Public Library system, then disappointed to discover it hasn't been published yet. Disappointment quickly gave way to anger when I used my Google machine to discover that fans of the trilogy have been waiting since 2011 <laughs> for Patrick, author Patrick Rothfuss to wrap things up, and there's no indication he's in a hurry to finish. The wait is 11 years and counting. In sports terms, readers have been waiting since the Texas Rangers were good enough to make the World Series. Charles Schwartzel won the Masters, and the Washington NFL franchise still had an offensive name, not just a bad one. So thank you, Michael, for introducing me to this endless waiting game. As a thank you... I'll point you to a really quick read titled Game of Thrones, where readers are still waiting for George R.R. R. Martin to finish two books, tend to series that started in 1996 when Tony was still a writer. P.S. If there's time left to fire any more shots, I'll ask a fellow Saratoga Springs Little who's had his name read on the show far too often recently to eat it. He knows who he is. There is no trilogy? There's no end? There is no end as of now. I like to do what I can, so you're welcome. If you've not, <laughs> if you've not uh, tried out the audio versions of those books, they are beautifully read. They are. Uh, they're really interesting to listen to on long car rides. And if, you, uh, if you've not checked out the novella, it's a different read, definitely different style, but it opens up some fan theories that tie together what they think is going to happen in book three, so you can go down that rabbit okay. hole. But then you, you start to get to these fan theories, and this is what happens with every good TV show. Every good book, particularly when you try and fit something into a trilogy, and by the name of the trilogy, you're you trying to slam book. it into into uh, into uh, certain parameters. 
the fan theories become better than anything that you can expect to read on <laughs> oh, the page. Is that right? Yes, a lot of times. They're just yeah. they they beautifully tie together small little things, and you're going back over these last two days of story. Well, maybe the author is reading them too. Yeah. Well, oh, that's a, oh. Let me go back and change this. <laughs> yeah. Should have should have seen that coming. Lockless. Okay. <laughs> From Jeff Paddock in Canandaigua, New York. In the past week or so, you've had several mentions of Horseheads, New York, on the pot. Each time I said to no one in particular, hey, I know that town. I went to school in that town, although I lived in the neighboring town of Big Flats. Yep, it's big and it's flat. It's also next to Corning, New York, where I, I know that, where friend of the show Barry Zerluga got his start in the newspaper business at the Corning Leader. I'm not sure anyone of real fame ever came from Big Flats, but that is not my reason for writing. For the past 35 years, I've lived about 40 miles away in Canandaigua. He, he shows me the pronunciation, but I know the pronunciation. It is the birthplace of such notables as comedian Kristen Wiig, the inventor of the Jeep, John Willis, W-I-L-L-Y-S, which is why the old Jeeps always had that name on the side of the Jeep. Oh. But I didn't know he was the inventor of the Jeep. And Lincoln debater Stephen A. Douglas. But the one thing I find most interesting is that Humphrey Bogart, yes, that Humphrey Bogart, spent his summer youth here. Bogart's father was a successful New York City cardiopulmonary surgeon. Never would have known that. <laughs> Did not know that. And his mother was a noted illustrator. They owned a 55-acre estate on Canandaigua Lake. Young Humphrey would reportedly put on plays with his friends during their stays here. I believe his life did amount to more than a hill of beans. <laughs> Here's looking at you, kid. It's a brilliant email from Jeff Patton. Totally brilliant. Owen Clayton. Owen! <laughs> Second time, long time. My hometown is Liverpool, England. Looking for some help on any famous people from here. <laughs> not I still live on Penny Lane. Oof. That's, that's cool. You know, that's a good address. That's, <laughs> yes, that's great. From Greg Wells in Why I'm Missing, Pennsylvania, listening to Friday's show when Tony said he should talk about the Ukraine and then offered, I don't know anything about the Ukraine. I was reminded once again why I love to listen to this podcast. <laughs> People sending in notes from major cities to pump up their two or three noted alumna made me shake my head along with Mr. Tony. Try getting that from a legit small town. I live in Why I'm Missing now, former home of Taylor Swift. I am from the town of Marshfield, Massachusetts. Famous Marshfielders, you ask? Well, there's Daniel Webster. Not sure about the devil. There's Peregrine White, the first English child born in New England, having been carried by his mother on the Mayflower. Then there's a dry period of about 150 years before we get to Mike Sullivan, current coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's an eclectic list, if nothing else. Just a lovely list. And one more from Nate in Austin. I don't know if that's Austin, Texas, but that's not where he was born. Rhinebeck, New York, has a population of 7,500 people. Surely that is small enough for you. It, it is. It is. Actress Emma Roberts and singer Rufus Wainwright of Hallelujah fame are from the town of Rhinebeck. As our acclaimed photographer Annie Leibovitz and Levi P. Morgan, the 22nd vice president of the United States. Not bad for a town 33 times smaller than Scottsdale. Eat it, Wilbur. <laughs> <laughs> so there will be some more, and we will get to some more. But I wanted to get to one other thing. Played golf with my son yesterday. You had three birdies. I had you for two under. Were you sure. two under? Yeah, but, but we were playing a, a short course. A few right. holes were shut down. Right. They turned a couple holes into more pitch and putts. But yeah, I still had to hold the putts. Yeah, so yeah, I thought you did very well. I, I'm always gratified, gleeful. I had one bad hole the last hole. But other than that, I was not terrible. You're putting very well these yeah. days. Yeah, I got And you drive, you drive like a low single-digit handicap. Mm -hmm. And then you just shank a potamus. Yeah, I shank a potamus <laughs> after that. I'm terrible. Once the ball's not on a tee... I'm particularly terrible. I, you should let me just carry a tea around, and then I can keep up with almost anybody. It's amazing, though. During our round, you don't talk to me. I can just see you sitting in your car, driving it, looking at me, I and I can only imagine what you're going to write down in your little diary. <laughs> well, I was just happy to play with you. It was a lovely day as well. I mean, the temperature was very hospitable. Windy, but temperature was hospitable. And then I went home, 
And I watched the golf. I watched the last round of the Arnold Palmer Invitational, where if you landed the ball in the rough, you were pretty much cooked. I mean, you did not have the ability to approach the green in the place you wanted to. You were hacking out and just trying to get there. I would go on and on about Rory McIlroy and that there's something wrong with him because after he led the tournament after the first day, minus seven, probably the best round of the entire tournament, he went plus every other day. But I won't talk about that. There are golf tournaments that are won and there are golf tournaments that are lost. This tournament yesterday was mostly lost. Did you watch any, Michael? I watched a lot of it. I have a slightly different take. Well, that, and yeah. I'm gonna, I'll yield to you in a little while. But a lot of guys who are near the lead ended up plus during the day. Taylor Gooch was plus during the day. Did you see his four putt? Yeah. Kirk was plus <laughs> during the day. Billy Horschel was plus during the day. Victor Hovland was plus during the day. But the guy who both won and lost the tournament in a space of 10 minutes was Gary Woodland former U.S. Open champion. Gary Woodland birdies 16. and uh, I'm sorry, Eagles 16, the par 5. Eagles 16. To take a one-shot lead in the tournament over Scotty Scheffler and Victor Hovland and Billy Horschel and who's the kid who finished early? Oh, I'm I'm Terrell Terrell Hatton. Hatton, Terrell Hatton. He put, yeah, he was one of the only guys under. He takes a lead. He eagles. He's going to win. He's got a par three and a par four coming up. He hits his tee shot in the par three into the sand. Okay. It happens. Then he does what I do. Half buried. He leaves it in the sand. Oof. He hits it. It doesn't come out. He leaves it. He doubles. He goes eagle, which is minus two to double plus two, and shoots himself out of the tournament. And then, and then when he needs a great tee shot on 18 in the left, spinach has no chance, right? Yeah. Did, now, you, did you hear what Bones was saying about him on 17 before he, before he hit the first bunker shot? No. So they were teeing up this great parallel to when he won, when the, he won US the U.S. Open. When he won the U.S. Open coming out of a bunker. Yeah, no, he hit a great pitch shot off a tight lie on the, 17, oh, okay. on the 17th hole, the 71st hole of the tournament, off, you know, beautiful little nip spinner high in the air. This one, he doesn't even get in the air. Azinger is slamming him. The ball's half buried, but the one thing you can't do is leave it in the bunker. They hit him hard. They hit Woodland hard. They, there's no question about Shut that. Shut the face down a little bit. Leave it in the sand. So I, um, I text back and forth with Ron's father about golf tournaments all the time. And in this particular case, we were fixated. Because like you could say that Gary Woodland both won and lost this tournament. But what is also true, Scotty Scheffler won this tournament. Scotty Scheffler had, was off the green at one point by 80 yards on par fours. Third shot in. Twice. Twice he had par saves from that situation and on 18, hacked it out of the spinach, got on the green 85 feet away. That's three-putt territory, even for some pros, and rolled it up to a foot? Foot and a half, nothing. He won it. My focus was on Scotty Scheffler because Gary Woodland, he was not really part of that the first page until late in that round. That's right. And you were circling the second to last group, which was uh, Victor Hovland and Scotty Scheffler, thinking the winner is going both to come young, out of this group. Both great. And both have middle, won on tour. It was the middle of the round where Hovland started to make some bogeys, and he was struggling particularly out of the sand. 
and Scotty Scheffler was missing into the correct spots, and he was holding the putts that you always look for, which are those six to ten foot par saves when everyone else was burning edges. And we saw with uh, Gooch, you know, four putting, and people were yeah. missing short ones. He stayed right there, and this is a player where, if you remember, everyone criticized his uh, his selection onto the Ryder Cup. He was very good in the Ryder Cup. He was Cup. great on the Ryder Cup, and he's now won two times since. He's won he's won two notable tournaments: the Waste Management Tournament, which everybody loves to look at, and the Arnold Palmer. These are notable tournaments. He's won two in the last four weeks. So if you then start to think, do you, are you pro, say, you know, the, the regular tour event like this where plus is a regular score and it's hard to stay under? I sort of thought it was a nice break having seen a lot of Birdie Fest yeah. recently. And, and you got to see how these guys were, were trying to not just land the ball in a certain area, but, but shape it to keep it in that area because it was hard to hold greens. But I went back immediately because we saw the player impact program winnings. And Scotty Scheffler's not involved. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, you know what I miss? I miss when Tiger Woods was making the, the 72nd uh, hole putt every year at Bay Hill. If you go back to 08, 09, when he's taking off his hat, slamming it down, <laughs> and we see Horschel has almost the exact same putt yesterday. It looks pretty good. But it doesn't go in. Doesn't, doesn't go scare in. the hole. Doesn't go in. And that's the difference doesn't go of golf in. in 2022. The call, the most famous putting call ever, better than most, better than most, better than most, is Tiger at Bay Hill. Well, that's at, that's at Sawgrass. Oh, I we thought that, that was at Bay week. Hill. Okay, yeah. well, it's in Florida. Yeah, this is where Arnie's looking on it, and he's, afterwards he goes, I know he's making the putt. He's made it before. <laughs> yeah. He made the same putt. Yeah. So, anyway, one other thing, um, and this will... I won't get. I won't go any deeper than this. A couple of blocks from my house, I noticed while walking the dog last night, someone had taken blue and yellow ribbon around a tree, the exact blue and yellow ribbon of the Ukrainian flag. And I have to say that it made me very happy to see that, very happy. We'll take a break. Michael Wilbon will join us. He didn't watch any golf. He watched basketball all weekend. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a solo stove read, and this is so odd what I'm going to say. <laughs> Today, um, the weather in Washington will be upwards of 75 degrees. I don't know if it'll get to 80, but be right around 80 for a Wind's while. Winds up to 50. With huge winds. This is a day where you say, no, no, no to solo stove. No, don't <laughs> want to be covered. <laughs> you know, yeah, you'd cover your solo stove. Tomorrow, when it goes back down to 40 or 35 at night, solo stove in your backyard is tremendous. This is the first day I would say no to Solo Stove in quite some time. Yes. But last night was the, if you went out after the beautiful. sun, down, beautiful. Yeah. That was a great solo stove, solo stove night. There's nothing quite like the feeling of gathering around a warm fire on a cool evening. Not an 80 degree evening, but a cool evening. <laughs> and a smokeless fire pit from Solo Stove makes your outdoor moments even more memorable. Because instead of having to constantly dodge campfire fumes, you can sit back, relax, actually enjoy the fire. Right now you can get a great deal on a solo stove fire pit. And I'll get to that in a second. But I will say that in my neighborhood, I do see these. Mm -hmm. They seem to have achieved a certain popularity, right? Do you have them where you oh, are? Oh, 100%. And they have their own dedicated space in the yard. It's, it's become yeah. like an extra living room. Yeah, yeah. I, that's, that's my sense of this. Um, they're easy to light with a few bits of starter. Your fire is blazing in minutes. They're perfectly portable. You can take solo stove with you on camping trips if you're inclined. And more. Shop now. Get up to 30% off fire pits all month long. That's the month of March. And use the promo code TONYK at checkout to get an extra $20 off. Plus a lifetime warranty and free 30-day returns. Just go to solostove.com 
And remember, you get $20 off when you use the promo code Tony K. And you may not think $20 is much, but if you had it 10,000 times, you might. So why don't you use the code? <laughs> You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Scott Anthony of Burbank, California, who writes, My wife gave birth to our first child the day COVID started shutting down the country. Two months later, the woman to whom I'm related by marriage and I decided to take a 2,000-mile RV trip to Louisville that allowed our families a few months to get to know the kid who's the inspiration of this song and afforded me the opportunity for some socially distanced recording sessions with some of my hometown's all-star musicians, including Bridget Kalin who contributes an irrepressibly charming vocal to this duet since my aforementioned wife doesn't sing for strangers. I tend to be a confessional singer-songwriter, so one might expect a little bit to ruminate on the struggles of pandemic parenting. Thankfully, I've dispensed with the moody navel-gazing to give you a relentlessly cheery folk tune about the joy of seeing hints of yourself and your beloved in a small, freshly minted person. What a lovely note from Scott Anthony. It's called A Little Bit. It's a wonderful, wonderful song. We thank Scott and we thank Bridget and plays in Michael Wilbon. I'll get to the NBA, but I, I sort of wondered about your thoughts about Duke Carolina, how you saw that, what you thought of it, what you, you know, what were your impressions of it? Well, Tony, I couldn't, I couldn't consume much of it because it was on uh, 6 o'clock Eastern, so 3 o'clock locally in L.A., and that's right. the window in which... Uh, we were getting ready to go on the floor in Los Angeles to do Countdown. Countdown, and Magic yeah. was with us. Um, and so we were just consumed with that. So I, as a matter of fact, when I last saw Duke Carolina, Duke was ahead. And yeah, so right, they were headed you know, to half. We up, yep. They were headed to half. But after yep. we got off the air, I immediately said, hey, what's the final score? And when I heard the final score, all of us were just sh- shocked. That, that Duke lost the game, but m- more than number of points, 13-point loss at home in that monumental game. Monumental in, in that, you know, Mr. God, my God, the last game for Mike Krzyzewski in, in Durham. Home and uh, home game. So, uh, stunned. And we weren't yeah. aware. I, I then later read the speech. Uh, if you want to call it a speech, I read it, but I could not hear it live. I was, I mean, all I really wanted to see whenever I could see it were all the players that came back. There were like 50 or 60 players that came back and Mike went through and greeted everyone. And you could, you know, half of them, you recognize them. It was, it was, you know, I don't like to use the word awesome, but it was awesome. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? It I was awesome. That. I could see that. It was just, it was great that they sat together, that they dressed uh, in one way. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I thought it was that actually, and I could, so that's the part that I could see from the beginning of the game that we couldn't, uh, see, you know, see afterward, but, but Mike's remarks afterwards were, uh, captivating. At least I found them that way. I like you. I never expected Carolina to win. Never. No, never. no, never. So, no, so no. credit to Hubert Davis. You know, for keeping his team in there. It's really amazing. All right, let me get to NBA stuff, because I know that you you spent the entire weekend um, watching the NBA. I'll just start with LeBron. Uh, LeBron threw in 56 the other night. I think he, he's the oldest. Per- I don't care about statistics like that, but he is a geezer. And he threw in 56, although how old was Kobe? What did Kobe go out on his last 62, game? 60 or 62. 
Was he, he not older game. than LeBron? I guess I guess he wasn't. I guess he must have been like thirty six. You know, we're splitting hairs with that with this stuff. We're yeah. talking about age. I, I, I and Kobe hadn't Kobe had come off a serious injury. He hadn't played. Um, Kobe's was a stunner. LeBron's wasn't a stunner. It was just so well done. Yeah. And basically, I mean, LeBron basically, and he had just said earlier in the week, you know, okay, we're not done yet. I'm not done yet. I mean, it may look like we're done, but no, I'm not. And so to come up with that performance then, you know, with Magic Johnson, well, Magic's in most games anyway, but... I certainly consider Magic the greatest Laker, um, and I know people. Oh consider, sure. Well, oh, I mean, sure. But, you know, people. He's the greatest player. You know, yeah, people can, will consider Kobe that. They'll consider Kareem that. To me, it's fine as one of those three guys, but it's Magic for me. And so, um, for LeBron, 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 he has made himself just a deadly outside shooter, deep shooter, as he as he's gotten older. And uh, that that add that that to his arsenal, and he was inspired. He, he, Magic had said to us on the air, he said, "Look, I know you can just say this is a, a regular Saturday night game, and Golden State, and you know, is much better than we are, and all that." He said, "But this is a very important game for us," and 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 they 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 acted like it. Now, they, you need you need LeBron James to score fifty six at this age to win at home. That still, I don't know, suggests to me that the Lakers are flawed in a very serious way, even on a night where they win like that. Um, but it was it was it was great theater to watch LeBron James do that. Yeah, and and it's why people like me um, look at him like Tom Brady in this regard, and we say, I'm not saying he's going to win all the time, but I'm not betting against him in any particular game. I'm not betting against yeah. him, yeah. and I'm not counting him out until it says zero, zero, zero. I'm not going to do it because I've seen it too often. I think I know you believe the Warriors will be much better immediately when and if Draymond Green returns. Yes, I think there's a serious trouble there. I do, but you go ahead and explain no, why no, it's no. not I as serious both. as I think. I believe both. Okay, yeah, they're in serious trouble right now. They've lost four straight. They're Tony. They're behind Memphis. They're they're like eight games behind the Suns, and their two best shooters are having their worst year. Yeah, they are, and and part of that part is the absence of Draymond Green, who yes is a great defender. Yes, that that is fair to say. Wait a minute, Draymond's a defensive ace. He is that. He's also the point guard. He's. I mean, you can say whatever you want about Steph Curry has the ball. Draymond Green has the ball. And he stands at the top of the circle and makes those plays and finds the action, the cutters, and sets maybe the best screens in the NBA. By the way, when you have a bad back, when you have something like a bad back, how do you come back and set those screens? How do you come back right away and do this defensive stuff that Draymond does? But he, you know, part of the reason those guys are struggling like they are is because there's no Draymond Green. And it's the same thing with Brooklyn. It can be as simple as, oh, they're not as good because that guy's not in the lineup, Kevin Durant. But it's not as simple as, okay, he's back, they're going to return to play. Uh, we don't know that. You know, Brooklyn's below 500. Below. Yeah. 
Yeah. Nobody had that. They, they, they continue to be the favorite in Vegas. It's insane. I don't know why. I don't well, know why. Because that's about money, not about basketball. Yeah, but th- th- it, it is demonstrable that they are not a great team, even with Durant and Kyrie. Not a great team. Very good team. Very competitive team. Not a great team. Shouldn't be the favorite, I wouldn't think. And they don't have the other guy. Yeah, I don't know what the other guy's doing. Know what he's gonna look I don't like know what he's doing. In the year. Oh, we don't even know when he's going to play. No, right? we don't. He's not playing Thursday. So, I can tell you that. You know, and then, I mean, they then lost. I, they're not even going to suit him up to be in Philly. They're not even going to nope. ask him. Try, you know, nope. going to try it. No. Nope. Which to me, I, 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 I'm sorry. I root against Brooklyn. I do. I don't. I don't want to see them. I want to see Brooklyn and Philadelphia in the first round of the playoffs. Let I don't think you're going to see annihilated. that. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see that mathematically. You sure you could, maybe. You could be, you, it could be 2-7. 2-7, I guess. Yeah. Um, Philly's in a hard stretch now. They're The 10 games that began with a loss to Miami, they play nine playoff teams in 10 games. It's a hard stretch. They're going to come back down to earth. But, you know, you know how I feel about this. I know. That, and I, don't, you know, I, that I, Harden, I think you're yeah. right. I, I, now, again, I picked Miami beginning of the year. So I'm not changing. But I mean, who's the big, who's the biggest threat to beat Miami? It's Philly. There's no question about that. We, have, we now they lost. You know, without Harden, they gave Harden the the, the back to back second of the back to back nights off. So they're three and because of his invented bad hamstring. Without Harden, yeah, Harden's really good, and Harden, yeah. and again. And this is something that I, I just don't think you can ever lose sight of because I think James Harden's a bright guy. I yeah. do. And I think James Harden knows that the second sentence on James Harden has a clause that goes, who quit on two teams in two years. Mm-hmm. And I think he sees this as an opportunity to get that out of the first paragraph about James Harden if he wins, don't you think? He's a yes. smart guy. And, and, yes, and I don't think the windows all open all that long, Tony. I'm not even sure. People tell me I'm crazy. Uh, here's Two what years. I wouldn't do. It's, this year, next James year. James Harden. What's that? This year, next year. That's it. This year, next year. That, yes. That's it. That's it. Yes, I'm not paying James Harden 250 It's not even the, 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 the massive amount total. It's that James Harden would be making 62 or $64 million at 37. It's a lot of money for a 37-year-old guy. A fat you guy. you play that out. That's... Yeah. that's <laughs> Staggering amount, just, and he yeah. has shown that he gets disinterested and wants to do something else, that's, like you said. His, yep. And yep. so this is yes, yeah, this is really important. I I expect this. I'm going to say something. This is going to sound crazy. I mean, the, the NBA playoffs are usually about proving what you already thought. So you go into the playoffs, and there's four teams max that think they can win, and there's really two teams that can win. And you go in, and it's about those teams and whether or not they can play up the level that everyone already expects. Whether that's the the Celtics or the the Lakers or the Sixers or the Bulls or San Antonio or it, 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 that's what the NBA playoffs are normally. I think these NBA playoffs may be the greatest playoff season we've ever seen because we have never seen five or six teams that think they can win. Seriously. Five or six. I mean, in the East alone, there's, there's probably four or five teams 
that they can win. Now, that depends. You have to get Chris Paul back, which we believe will happen. Um, you know, Denver is going to get two players back, Tony, that had them a conference finalist. It may be not enough time left to incorporate them. But there's, there's so many really talented teams with star players that can knock you out in the first round. So I, do I believe that the Sixers, who you and I, and you have stated this since the trade was made, that you think they're the best in the East? I, 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 do too. I, I think that they're very likely the best in the East. Could they lose in the first round? Yep. They could. Because they could well, finish 4-5. Hope- yeah, I hope really the, the playoffs are great. The NFL playoffs were the greatest ever, and the reason was there was no great team. They were the best yes, playoffs ever, yes, ever. Yes. So if yeah, that's and, the case in the NBA as well, good. Right. It looks like it could set up us very similarly. Yeah, and that would be, you know, and look, basically we now, we sit here as we, you and I had this conversation on essentially the eve of, of March Madness. And then you've got big stuff like you've got the Players' Championship this week. Mm-hmm. You're going to have the Masters. You're going to have, like I said, March Madness and some big games. And, and then you're going to blink. And when we're out of that stuff, the NBA playoffs will begin. And so I, I'm, I'm like, wow, what, what, is, what does all this mean? Like, do I really count the Lakers out? LeBron says don't do it until he's 12 feet under. Well, they got, that means LeBron's got to play like, a dozen times like he played Saturday night. And I, I don't know that, that I can see that being that repetitive at this stage, but it really sets up to be fascinating. All right, I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you. All Michael right, Wilbon, boys and girls. Uh, we will take a break. Gary Williams will join us. Who better to talk to about Duke, North Carolina, or about a reunion of your former players, which he just had about a week and a half ago? Gary Williams, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the X-Chair Read, and you know what I'm going to say. From the first moment you sit in an X-Chair, as I am now, your body will immediately say, ah. So this is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? No. X-Chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? No. X-Chair can. It's all in the Elemax massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for X-Chair. And once you feel the customized support of X-Chair's dynamic variable lumbar, the old DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are all reasons to love the X-Chair. Try X-Chair for yourself, like my friend Jody did, risk-free for 30 days, and then he bought it. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back. Go to xchairtony.com now. Letter X, chair, T-O-N-Y dot com, or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR is a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. You can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. XCHAIRTONY.com. Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a group called the Bedrocks. We have played them before, I believe. We have indeed. This is a song called 706 Union Avenue, a blues track from their new album, The Sun Studio Sessions, recorded at Sun Studio in Memphis, 2021. Most seasoned recording artists, seasoned meaning old, will recognize the slapback recording technique on the song, made famous by Sam Phillips on many of the early Sun recordings of Elvis Presley. To the novice, slapback is kind of echo with a relatively long delay. The Bedrocks, The Sun Session, and this is sent to us by Ray 
Ficka, I guess, not FICA, F-I-C-C-A, Ray Ficka, who is either a member or a good friend yes. of. member. Yes. Member. So that's great to know. And they play in... Oh, before we get to that, Michael, if people like the Bedrocks want to send us their original music, how do they do so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. I listened to this last night when Sean was recording it. It's really good. <laughs> I, I recommend that people listen to it at the end of the show. Yeah. It's both musical versions today are really good. Gary Williams joins us now, and... I was, we just had Wilbon on the air, and he feels like I, and I think you feel the same way. I was really surprised when Duke lost that game. Were you? I was completely shocked what I thought would happen. Carolina would come out, get a lead on Duke because of the emotion in the building. Sometimes that's hard for the players to play uh, in that situation early on. But I just thought from, and probably as a result of that first game where Duke dominated at Carolina, as much as you can dominate a basketball game, I just thought Duke would come back and win the game in the second half. Me too. I thought once they took the lead, I thought that, that they would do it. And I'm wondering, right. you've coached so many different teams over so long a period of time. That ceremony, that pregame ceremony, which was promoted by ESPN tirelessly, Wilbon and I had Mike on a couple of days before the game, all of those players, those players who may be the current players actually idolized, do you think that detracted at all from the Duke players because they were, like, in it? I think so. Uh, I, I really believe. We did it um, when, when the last game in Coldfield House was against Virginia in 2002, and we did it at the end. We had all the former players come back and line up like, Duke's players did before the game. And I, I just mm -hmm. thought before the game, you know, the players are out there already. They're standing there. They're watching it. And, you know, a lot of those, I, I mean, let's face it, over the years, Duke has had tremendous players, guys that have gone on to great pro careers, things like that. And, you know, for the current players to see all that, and plus anytime you break a routine of a player before a game, I mean, it, it's some guys are really superstitious. They, they sit in the same place on the bench during introductions, things like that. And, it just disrupted everything, and I just thought the impact of that really affected the players. That's That seems the only reasonable explanation to me, because if you're a player, if you're an 18- to 20-year-old kid now, maybe Grant Hill doesn't mean that much to you, but more recent guys do mean a lot to you. You probably went to Duke having watched those guys go to Duke. I'm sure there are people who went to Maryland having watched great players be at Maryland, and to actually be around them, may make you nervous. That's my theory. You seem to think it's you have the same theory, right? Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. You'd like to think that, you know, you, you say, hey, look, we're going to really focus on the game. We're not going to let anything bother us. It's going to be different today, but don't worry about it. It's just what we have to do, you know, going into this game. But you, you can't get inside a, a player's head that, that well and, and, you know, figure out whether it affects them or not. But I know one thing. If I'm a player at Duke on – you know, this past weekend going against Carolina, I look up in the stands and I see those 80 guys or whatever it is all sitting together. Uh, that has impact. That has impact because a lot of those guys, not just at Duke, but in the pros, they, they were heroes to these guys growing up. And, you know, that, yeah. that's hard to handle. It, it really is. And I'm sure they were distracted. I, I, I guarantee you they were distracted. I'm not saying that's the reason. You know, that would be taken away from what Carolina did, um, you know, in, in preparing and 
playing as well as they did at Duke, which is really hard to do. And but it, it was a distraction, that's for sure, as big as a distraction as any of those players probably had in high school or college before a game. You, for people that don't know this, um, the Maryland National Championship was 20 years ago. You just had a 20th anniversary celebration on the court. What was that like for you with the players from the team that won the national championship? It was great. And uh, the, the other side of that is uh, Maryland really played well after that. We were in that uh, yeah. last TV timeout at the four-minute mark in the first half. And, you know, from there, Maryland played great uh, You know, through halftime in uh, the second half. But for our guys, that, that meant a lot to them to get back, um, you know, together. We had all the players from the team there. Uh, no, nobody missed it. And it was just tremendous to see everybody. And the thing you, you, you worry about uh, after guys get out sometimes is how they do, you know, with their lives, with their families. And everybody's good. You know, no, nobody's in financial trouble. Everybody's in pretty good shape. So that was good to see. When Mike and I talked to Shashevsky the other day, the first question I asked was, are you afraid you'll cry when all those players were around? Did you cry? And did you just recently cry when you saw all the players? Did you get teared up at all? Um, just one time. We we did a thing uh, before the game for boosters, you know, people to contribute to the program. And we had it in the side gym there in Xfinity Center on Maryland's campus. And there was probably a thousand people there. And uh, you start thinking about everything and probably things you haven't thought about for a long time or they, they weren't right there, you know, uh, as, as you saw your players and everything. And it, it, it's, it's emotional. It's hard not to be emotional in those situations because it, it meant so much to you. And I, I look at, you know, coach K with all those guys back, I'm sure that's the first time all those guys have been back. And yeah. he, he, he was on edge anyway, because it was a big game. They're playing Carolina, which is the ultimate rivalry. And so, uh, a lot of things went into that, uh, and I noticed Coach K teared up, and uh, I doubt very few people, including myself, thought he would tear up because the whole West Point background and things like that. But you know, he felt it, uh, and you have—if you're a human being, you feel it. Did you uh, at the ceremony at Maryland? Did you speak? Um, and was it hard? Was it difficult to to do that? Did you feel that emotion? Yeah, I did. I spoke, but uh, I got I got through it on the court. Uh, I said a few words on the court during that uh, timeout, and that was good. I only spoke for about 30 seconds, so I handled that. Uh, I wasn't as tough before the game, but uh, I got it back pretty quick, uh, trying to act tough. But <laughs> it, it was very emotional, uh, without a doubt. And it was uh, one of those things you never know if you get that opportunity to do again. Uh, so... Um, you know, you, you want it to be a great thing. And it really went well, which I was glad to see. And all the players got a chance to talk before the game, too, which was kind of funny, you know, because they get right back to the locker room right away. They're, they're 20 years ago in the locker room. And the locker room's funny, as you know. There, there's a lot of funny things that are said in the locker room. Maryland won the game the other day. I'm going to ask right. you to be totally truthful on this one. Did you want to coach that game? I'm not saying you wanted to coach any other game in the last X years, but did you want to coach that one? Oh, yeah. I mean, the crowd was good. Uh, <laughs> it reminded me of a lot of things. And you, 
I mean, because your team's there, you know, you, you feel like a coach again. Uh, and uh, I haven't had that feeling for a long time now. So th- that, that was good. And uh, I, you start watching it. You see what you think might work from the plays that you ran back in the day or, or whatever. And, of course, every play was a great play as I'm watching it. We would have scored every time, but obviously <laughs> those things don't happen. But it, it was a great feeling. And, and a lot of that was just being around the players. That, that gives you the energy where you think you might be able to do that. I'm thinking from a coaching perspective that Duke losing that game isn't the worst thing that happened because you can get your players back. Do you agree with that? 100%. People after that game, they acted like that was the end of the world. No, uh, no. Shesky and Duke, but no, no. I, hope, I, 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 I guarantee you, Mike is sitting there right now thinking, I hope we get Carolina in the ACC tournament. I hope we get a shot at him. Because as a competitor, which he is, uh, probably the ultimate competitor, that's what you want now. You, you want that chance to get it. And then, obviously, the big prize is the NCAA tournament. And I haven't seen anybody, given the ups and downs of college basketball this year, you watch all the good teams that are they've been ranked uh, on the first line and all, all those things, and no one's been consistent. Everybody has their loss that you can't figure out, and so I'm sure they're thinking if they can get playing really well in the ACC tournament, going into the NCAA tournament, Duke has as good a shot as anyone. So I, you know, I've talked to a lot of coaches over a lot of years, including you, And the most a coach will ever say around this time of year going into the NCAAs is if he thinks his team's good, he'll say, we're pretty good, pretty good. No one goes any further than that. I remember Beheim being on the show with us and he had Carmelo and he was on the show a lot and he never said anything about his team in the Carmelo year. He said, yeah, we're, we're pretty good. I'm sure you felt the year you were going to win and maybe a couple of other years too, that you could win that. Yeah, we're pretty good off air. Mike did say to us, we're pretty good. That means he thinks he can win, right? That's the code for coaches. Without a doubt. Uh, I really believe he's telling you the truth, too. He does think they can win. And once again, you use whatever sometimes you have to use to get ready to play as you get into postseason. And you couldn't get more motivation than losing to Carolina in the last game at Cameron. Uh, than he has right now going into practice today or whatever they sort of practice again. And that's what you do. That That's the only thing you can do. You you can't go back and play that game again. You probably do a lot of things differently. So you, you use it. And that's going to be a very tough out for anybody that plays against Duke the, the rest of the way. So um, you stopped coaching. And Roy Williams stopped coaching, and Jim Calhoun stopped coaching, and now Mike has stopped coaching. This is pretty much your peer group. There's one guy left. There's Bayheim, right? One yeah. guy of, of a similar age. What do you think? He, when do you think he's going to stop, or is he never going to stop? Uh, I thought he'd be stopped by now. He's a year older than me, and uh, yeah. I, I thought he'd be stopped. But coaching his son said that's a great thing. He got that opportunity uh, this year to coach uh, both his kids. Uh, Mm-hmm. This wasn't the typical Syracuse team that had the six eight, six nine Carmelo Anthony long, lengthy guys to play the two three zone that he's famous for. This was a little different team, and he, he kind of paid the price for it. So I, I don't know how he looks at the rest of the way without his kids being there or w- whatever. 
Uh, Jim is unique. He is one of those people that will tell you how great it is in Syracuse, New York in January. <laughs> and you look at yeah. him like, are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> yeah. but there he is. And I, I, Jim is Jim. He, he loves what he does. He loves to coach. I think he still is really into it. He has the uh, energy to do it. So keep coaching if that's what he wants to do. Thanks, Gar. We'll see you soon. We'll play golf. Tony, thank you. Thank you. Talk to you. Gary Williams, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Policy Genius read. Policy Genius doesn't have a discount. They have a special dedicated website. Yes. But I don't say use the code people after it because there's no particular code. <laughs> right. Because you're going to just get in here and know exactly what you're doing. If someone relies on your financial support, whether it's a child, an aging parent, or even a business partner, you need life insurance. Life insurance can give you peace of mind that if something happens to you, your loved ones will have a financial cushion to pay for things like rent and mortgage payments and loans and education costs and everyday expenses. Having coverage through your job may not be enough. Most people need up to 10 times more to properly provide for their families. And typically, life insurance gets more expensive. as you age. It's a million dollars a week for me now. So it's smart to get a policy <laughs> sooner rather than later. Head to policygenius.com and answer a few questions about yourself. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. Their licensed experts will help you understand your options and apply for a policy. Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees. Policy Genius doesn't sell your information to third parties. Policy Genius has thousands of five-star reviews across Google and Trustpilot. So head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag, got your email packed in, and you know. Here comes Tony's mailbag, gonna read some for all you folks. Lucky the read. Yeah! <laughs> so that's the jinglers. Yes. Jerry Negrelli sent us that. That was from the Jingle Fest in Nashville over the weekend, right? That's Jingle right. Trek, yeah. It's lovely. What was it called, Jingle Trek? Yeah, I think Joey was still trying to figure out the date. Hope he made it. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's <laughs> wonderful. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Bagel sandwiches today. Very excited. We always are when we get those from Bethesda Bagels. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. So that's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say your day breaks, your mind aches. You find all her words of kindness linger on when she no longer needs you. She wakes up, she makes up, she takes her time and doesn't feel she has to hurry, she no longer needs you. That's one of the great Paul McCartney songs of all time. It's just wonderful. Thanks to our guest today, Michael Wilbon, and the Hall of Fame coach from the University of Maryland, Gary Williams. Thanks to today's sponsors, X-Chair, Policy Genius, Solo Stove. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Gary was great. He was. It's just great he to He was. Hear. I mean, and... I can't wait for Alan to text us about Gary being on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, from Chris Gary Wooden. was on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. From Chris Wooden in Edgewater, Maryland, you were better than Dennis Miller. Thank you. <laughs> from Leif Benson in Owensboro, Kentucky, so Bonnie is bringing over letters from two years ago, and I used to think the podcast delay was rough. From Shad, you're superficial, arrogant, and outdated. You're a triple threat. <laughs> from Adam Ware. 
Kansas City, Kansas is indeed partially separated by the Missouri River, although the, res- the river is more east-west than north-south, so it's not a precise divider. Kansas City, Kansas is separated by Kansas City, Missouri by the state line, state line road. Ideologically, the two parts of Kansas City are separated by the big city urbanites of Missouri versus the suburban Karens and Steves of Kansas. The Kansas side, where I'm originally from, is primarily Overland Park and Olathe, I hope I pronounced that correctly, I may not, it may be Olathe, which are big suburbs of the larger Kansas City, Missouri area. There are sprawling roads and shopping malls, plus the aforementioned Kansas City Country Club, where Michael has played, and yes. I have played. Can- I think I've played. You have played. Yeah, Kansas City, Kansas does have the sporting KC soccer stadium, which is pretty sweet. Make sure you pack your long socks. Yes, the Missouri side has all the big tall buildings, Chiefs and Royal Stadium, and is objectively way cooler. I'm a 25-year-old little, and I love the podcast. Isn't that nice? We don't usually get them that young. From Ryan Larson, I'm on the case to find the guy who wanted you fired from Kansas City, Kansas. <laughs> Dave Joseph, I had parenthetical. <laughs> <laughs> My only fear is that he convinces me his opinion is right. Wish me luck. (laughs) Jeff McAleer in Springfield, Virginia. There are four windows in my kitchen. Disappointingly, disappointingly, there isn't one over my sink. From JS in Buffalo, I recently moved to Buffalo, New York, and just spent a lovely weekend near your collegiate neck of the woods in Corning, New York, home of the Corning Museum of Glass. I saw a myriad of beautiful options for hand-blown champagne flutes in case you never get that gift for your many, many years of business with Amex. We'd simply like a nicer option. Well, we, we got the gift, but thank you on that. As a kicker, you'll get to enjoy the vast number of excellent vineyards and wineries around the Finger Lakes region. It may not be Willamette, Dammit Valley, but this region does produce some great wine. And then he writes, hopes DG's doing well. (laughs) As we all do. From Josh Cromwell, Moselle, Mississippi. Now that you opened your Monday show by literally reading notes, when can we expect you to start reading faxes? It's the only part of the mailbag song that you've not been able to deliver on so far. We demand equal time for faxes. From Rich Mermelstein in Scarsdale, New York. First time, long time. My wife, who actually went to Hobart, had no idea they had a football team until I showed her what you said about Ali Marpet on PTI. Both my kids went to Binghamton, so D3 schools without a football team are in the family. Thanks for speaking so highly of the gem in Geneva. It made our day. I grew up in Levittown reading you and Joe Gergen and Stan Isaacs in Newsday, which at the time had the best sports section anywhere. Indeed. I don't know anyone famous from Levittown. In fact, William Levitt isn't even from there. And I have very few kitchen outlets, but I do have this. On my birthday, Abe Lincoln was shot and the Titanic sunk. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You're dealing in that. Tough day. Um... This is from Rich Richard in Oakland, Michigan. I often tell my wife information for life from the show that I think will interest her, but she usually just rolls her eyes at me and shows no signs of becoming a little. But last month, as we checked into our hotel room in Key West, from out of nowhere, she said, Mr. Tony would like this hotel. It has two bathrooms. I've never loved her more. P.S. The most famous person from my hometown of Moline, Illinois, is John Deere. Yes, that John Deere. That's pretty cool. From Andy Doyle in Marietta, Georgia. Went to the outlet mall during lunch, got a great deal on shoes. Marked down to start with, and then added a discount and a promotion. Thought you'd like to know. I do. That Stuff like that actually makes me very happy. Susan Scarietto. Yes, Scarietto. Susan Scarietto writes, This obnoxious person cut us off. Thought you'd appreciate it. It's a guy, it's a Subaru. This is in New York City. <laughs> vanity plate? It's yes. a Subaru. The vanity plate is NTF FKR. So that's those those NTF faker. Is that what that means? Aren't those NTFs those crypto things? Or am I making that up? NFTs? Oh, then it's NTF, NTF FKR. 
Well, when it's obnoxious, it whatever is. it is. And they cut, they cut them off. Yeah. So, yes. Mike Peterson, Duluth, Minnesota. I was putting away dishes over the weekend. Our dish drying rack is directly sitting over a corner cabinet that you must hang down and lean forward to reach the way back of. While reaching to grab a very normal toaster, I bent down, not even noticing the five-inch butcher knife prone in the drying rack towards the ceiling near the edge of the counter. Just nearly missing the blade and only noticing as I hinged back up, I was shook. I told my, right, my wife right then, quoting now, you don't leave knives up like that in the rack because they become lethal weapons at that point. Because these are my knives. One of these hits you in the eye and it's going through you. A dead man, Jack. That's my experience. Well, not my experience, my fear. The connective tissue of the show does not extend beyond me in this household and attempts to grow the brand or reject it. Nonetheless, only six outlets in my kitchen surround that deathly dish depository. Fabulous email. Doug and Charlotte. The woman to whom I'm related by marriage walked into our apartment today and unprompted handed me a poem by Louise Gluck. <laughs> Apparently one of our neighbors freely distributes poetry outside of their house as a way to brighten others' days. That's right. The poet who wrote a piece called The Drowned Children <laughs> is supposed to brighten my day. My wife could not confirm if the house had a Subaru in the driveway. On a totally separate note, guess who is now looking to move this summer? That's right, us. P.S. My dear friend is a burgeoning little who also loves Louise Gluck. If you have the time, would you mind telling him to pick a side or eat it? Much obliged. And from Dave Brown in Charlottesville, Virginia. In last Monday's mailbag segment, or maybe a couple of Mondays ago, you passed along a message from Ricky Herb in Barnegat, New Jersey, telling me to eat it. Please allow me to reply. I will not eat it. Not now, not ever. Furthermore, you can go slice meat, stuff it in your mail sack, and bury it like cheese in the Pine Barrens of your beloved Ocean County, New Jersey. Those are old school TK references, so I wouldn't expect a relative newbie such as yourself to get them. All the best. Brilliant email. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. But I still need a bit of milk, full fat, which I've warmed in the microwave. A little bit of me and a little bit of you. Mix them up, see what love can do. One plus one's a little more than two. When it's a little bit of me and a little bit of you. With all ten fingers and just as many toes, two big grins.
as a crew We took all the weed And added one of her too She's a little bit of me And a little bit of me too That's a little bit of me And a little bit of you
bridge that you can sell.